Romans chapter 12 in your Bibles. We looked at uh, verse 1, 2, and 3 repeatedly dealing with the aspect of consecration. Consecration is a word not often used in everyday language. Many people are devoted to a cause or to a career, but often it's for the money it brings in and they're driven to make more and more, build bigger and bigger. There's some who dedicate themselves to a cause. And um, David said when he dealt with his brothers, he was willing to go volunteer to Saul to fight against Goliath the giant, and he was but a youth. And his brother said, uh, you know, we know how you are. You don't need to do this. And David said, uh, is there not a cause? Is there not a reason? And the greatest cause I know is the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ that we could be dedicated to and committed to and consecrated as Romans chapter 12 deals with. We looked at beginning in verse number 4 where uh, we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office. Um, dealing with the church and dealing with the spiritual gifts of the believers and the abilities that we have and how God uses us together. He may use us individually in some ways, but collectively he wants to use us together in the church. And um, we, uh, we have dedication and consecration because Christianity is worthy of that, becoming a follower of Christ as a disciple. And a disciple is one who is committed and dedicated, not just um, a mundane Christian, but one who's really committed to the Lord seeks to build his church. Now he says in verse number 9, let love be without dissimulation. The word dissimulation could be translated hypocrisy. It's translated in 2 Corinthians 6, 6 as unfeigned. And it's the same word that's used here that's translated dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not." So we see that uh, Paul explains that we are to love one another with a sincere love, a love that's not hypocrisy. We've all seen people who are phony in their um, greeting to us and their way of doing things. They, what the reason is, I don't know. But uh, God helps to love one another with a tender affection and it be sincere as can be. In 1 John 3.18, love revealed in deed and truth, and so not just in word, what we say, I love you, brother, but we show it in deed and in truth. Now, Paul presents 12 aspects of how practical our Christianity is to be as we labor together here in the church. First of all, the sensitiveness of love. We're to abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. We're to withdraw from what's sinful and scornful and evil must be uh, for God in truth 
that which is good have a, a holy hate of evil at the same time. Scripture teaches we're not just to be for what is right, we're also to be against what is wrong. And so genuine love biblically loves one another, but we have a um, withdrawing from what is evil. Secondly, purity of love in verse 9. Cleave to that which is good. Remember an Old Testament character who was a warrior who was in a battle with a sword in his hand and he used his sword so much that his hand cramped around the sword and he couldn't let it go, couldn't turn it loose. And that was his hand cleaved to his sword. It was like it was made to it. And we're to cleave to that which is good. We're to let us hold fast to the Lord over in... uh, 1 Thessalonians, if you want to turn there with me, chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 21 and 22, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. So as believers, we're to cleave to that which is good, we're to hold on to that which is good, we're to eliminate things from our lives that are sinful and wrong and that are just not good for us and we're to hold on to all that is good, the purity of love. C is the reality of love. Verse 10, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. One writer said this is brother love, not brotherly love, but brother love. It's the filio type of love that is family affection. It is a tremendous uh, kindness to one another because of affection for one another. Jesus said, by this love shall all men know that you are my disciples, if we have love one for another. If people see the church love each other, then uh, they, they recognize that it's the Lord's teaching that causes us to be that way. Um, a close bond of responsibility as Christian brethren. And the church has men and women, and so it's vitally important that our love is pure, that it's not based on a romantic attraction. And uh, the world today we live in doesn't seem to know anything but the romantic type of love. They don't understand biblical love, the the self-sacrificing, doing for another's good, and that sort of thing. D, the humility of love, verse 10, in honor preferring one another. Church has been described as the noblest school of courtesy regarding others ahead of oneself. It is and requires a self-discipline, a selflessness instead of selfishness to prefer one above yourself where it is important that if we love the Lord, that we love our brothers and sisters. The faithfulness of love in verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Um, Whatever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, is from Ecclesiastes. We have a job of business or busyness in the ministry, that we stay busy for God. 
And uh, it's, it's easy to be too busy in the things of this world and crowd out our time with the Lord. We better remember that the Lord deserves the preeminence above everything else, first place. And we should always stay busy for Him. We know, as the Lord Jesus taught, the night is coming when no man can work. Times come in our lives, uh, the darkness of age or health, the um, church, you know, falls apart. Um, the, all kinds of things happen that stop our effort for the Lord. Uh, mission fields have closed. You know, you can't get missionaries into the Muslim countries over there. Uh, Syria, we sent all kind of money over there to help those people with the, with the earthquakes over there, and you can't even get in the border over there. If you are going to take a Bible or carry the gospel over there. And uh, that, um, that night has come to those countries where you can't work there now. Our earnest best to stay active in the things of the Lord is vital. Whatever we do, we should do it faithfully. We should do it consistently. Uh, diligence in the church work, in our attendance, in our service, in finding things that we can do for the Lord. The earnestness of love in verse 11, fervent in spirit. The Lord Jesus rebuked Ephesus. They were one of the most active churches in the Bible, the most written to um, church. Um, the um, Acts, they dealt with them. Paul you know, met with the elders. The book of Ephesus is written to them. Uh, they're one of the churches of Revelation. And they had left their first love. So in Revelation 2, 4, the Lord rebuked them for leaving their first love. Their love was not earnest for the Lord. And he rebuked the church of Laodicea for being lukewarm in their practice of their faith. We should be fervent in spirit. What we do for the Lord, we should see it as we, we serve the king we are his messengers and his workers, and we're, what we're doing is a noble work. It's an important work, and we ought to have some enthusiasm about it. Galatians 6, 9 says that we shall reap if we faint not. So we're trying to witness to people. We're trying to pray for people. We're trying to help somebody come to church or get saved. We should continue in, with enthusiasm and not give up because if we continue... We will reap, the scripture says, if we faint not. On the back, we go to the genuineness of love in verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Whatever we do for those that we serve in the Lord's name, it's the same as doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't know this passage, turn to Matthew 25. Many of you are very familiar with this. Matthew 25, Christ's future kingdom with the nation of Israel. In chapter 25 of Matthew and verse 35, the king will come and, and um, call them to enter into the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. He says, For I was hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. 
Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we hungered and fed or thirsty and gave you drink? And when we see uh, a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we sick in, in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I send you inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. And then he explains the opposite, how those who did not do those things will be judged for not doing them for the Lord because they didn't do them for the Lord's people. So we see how important it is that we try to tend the sick and the widows and fatherless and visit people uh, where we can. If we, you know, nowadays you hardly can't get into prison. A prisoner in York County lockup has to put down on a piece of paper that Jim Parrish is my pastor. That's the only way I can get in there to visit a person. I can't go over there and say, I want to visit so-and-so. His mother asked me to visit. I'm sorry, he doesn't have you down on his card as being his pastor. You can't come. And, of course, what their problem is is they get all kind of people coming over there for all kind of reasons, lying, saying they're a pastor and they want to visit him. What they want to do is, you know, talk to him about where his drugs are hid or something like that, you know. So they, there's all kind of things that can happen. I have understanding of some of it, but some of it has gotten almost ridiculous to the point that uh, supposed to be the ability to get people to repent, change their life, you know, get some education if they need it or whatever it is while they're in prison so they can do better when they get out, <clears throat> not, uh, not keep them isolated as, as just a strictly a punishment. So we have a responsibility as a church to do all the things we can to be a help. Now, Paul uses three words of service in the book of Romans. In uh, chapter 12, verse 1, uh, present your bodies living sacrifice acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's the Greek word latria, and that is a religious service, worship or reverence. Secondly, dikonai, practical service, ministering, serving. And then verse 11, he uses duolo, the word for a bond servant or slave. One who has committed himself in servitude, as Paul referred to himself, as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a bond slave of the Lord that committed. And we seek to serve the Lord who's worthy, and we serve his people, and when we do, it's the same as serving him. H in your outline, the buoyancy of love, verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Rejoicing in hope. These believers faced a lot of persecution and hardships in Rome. Paul's uh, day was uh, um, from the time Christ was crucified around 30 -ish, 32 uh, AD. And in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed by the Roman Empire. And um, there was a lot of persecution that happened. The early church in Acts was scattered because of persecution and went to many other places, many other countries where they went to uh, places. Some of them had homes there <clears throat> and had come for Pentecost, but many were scattered because of persecution. And they were patient in tribulation, patient endurance regardless of the test or trial. 
Make up our mind we're going to serve the Lord regardless of what the world does, regardless of what laws change, regardless of what the government tries to inter intercede on us. We serve the Lord first, and my responsibility is first to Him. And we should serve Him above everything else. And one thing that helps us in times of persecution is to have hope. Hope. They faced a lot of hardships, but their Christianity was a, a faith of hope and joy and rejoicing. Look at Romans 5 and verse 2 through 5. <clears throat> Romans 5, verse 2 through 5. Verse 1, you know, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So our faith is a faith of hope and joy and rejoicing. As Christians, we should not be guilty as Israel was in the wilderness of murmuring and complaining all the time. We should be a people that rejoice, a people that have hope, a people that believe God regardless of what we're going through at the moment in a trial or a test. In Hebrews 12, 2, Christ endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. J, the devotion of love, continuing instant in prayer. In prayer to our all-powerful loving Father who can rise above our trials in prayer. He can lift us, leaving our burden with him, casting all our care upon him, for he careth for us, Peter said. James said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God's energy is working in us as we pray. Okay, the unselfishness of love, verse 13. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. So the early church in Acts chapter 2, we won't turn there for the time, but remember chapter 2, verse 44 through 47 how the early church shared what they had with one another. They were in the midst of persecution. Many of them had to leave uh, Jerusalem. And so um, as they faced that, they gave one to another. Those that had gave and those who didn't have received, distributing to the necessity of saints. And saints speaks of our position in Christ, not our condition in Christ. We aren't worthy to be called saints, but our position is that's who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we cast our cares upon him and he cares for us. So let's continue fervent in prayer and let us be those who are unselfish in our love one for another. The early church had a remarkable generosity, uh, even being scattered Hospitality in ale, given to hospitality, means the love of strangers. Hospitality. Not just those we know and can return to us a favor, but to those that we don't know, the, the stranger. 
showing them hospitality. The early church opened their homes to one another. And, you know, just like when uh, they would travel from one place to another, the Apostle Paul, there were people that opened their homes to him and to his team. And uh, Lydia was one of those, and they ended up starting a church in her house. Um, These people were given to hospitality and being a help to um, many. Then M, Paul addresses our Christian love toward the unsaved, beginning in verse 14 down through verse number 21. We are to bless those who do not bless us. That doesn't mean bless them out. That means we're to pronounce a blessing upon them. Withholding retribution toward those who in ignorance would persecute us. Remember what Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. People who persecute Christians, they have no idea whose people they're persecuting. And if uh, we find the grace, as Stephen did when he was going to be stoned to death, he likewise, as our Lord said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. That's a lot of grace, my friends. Love toward others, verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, weep with them that weep. We all got neighbors and some friends maybe we've known from way back, and they're not Christians, but they have children and families and marriages, and they want good things, and we want good things for them. We can rejoice with them when they rejoice, and we can weep with them when they weep, when their loved ones pass away. It may be an opportunity for us to witness to them, to invite them to church, to share the Lord with them, or scripture that may be a help and a blessing to them. Um, Love toward others. We can convince ourselves um, to be content with what God supplies us so that we're not jealous or envious of others if they have more than we do. We can rejoice with them without envy or selfish feelings if they are benefited by what they receive. Number O, love, letter O, love seeks agreement ground. Verse 16, be of the same mind. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. We are uh, sometimes not very smart. We can think of after a situation is over what we should have done, what we should have said, how we should have handled the situation. But as believers, we can be of the same mind. We can uh, be a blessing to those around us. And then last of all, verse 16, love minds not high things. Another basis for humility and contentment. You remember Diotrephes who loved to have the preeminence. But uh, we are not to be that way. We are to humble ourselves and we're to serve the Lord. And uh, we will deal with many people that profess to be Christians who don't really know the Lord as their Savior. It's vital that those of us who do know the Lord can show them truth so they could be saved. And that we set a good example and be a good witness to keep the door open. Always, if you leave somebody after talking to them about the Bible or the Lord, never forget this. When you talk to somebody about the Bible, never leave them 
so that somebody else couldn't come along behind you and talk to them about the Lord and the Bible. Don't get in a big argument and a fight with them and a hard language and all that sort of thing. You've just ruined the opportunity for any other Christian to come along and be a witness to them. And that's one of the problems with people when we try to witness is they've all had a Christian that they don't like, that they've found fault with. That's why they say the church is full of hypocrites. Yeah, the bank's full of hypocrites too, but you go there every, every time you need to go, you know. And uh, that won't help them when they stand before the Lord in judgment. Miss Gwen, come up here and play Sweet Hour of Prayer. You know what number that is? I ain't got to have it finding stuff in this book yet. Huh? 516? Turn to 516 with me. Just keep your seats. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. That calls me from a world of care And bids me at my Father's throne Make all my wants and wishes known In seasons of distress and grief my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. Sunday we're going to give you a, a uh, pamphlet that uh, deals with an hour of prayer. And we're doing 40 days of prayer. I've tried to put forth a, an example of praying more than I usually do. And uh, since Bob gave that message and I prayed about it, I've been able to do so so far. I hope I can do that every day. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer. Thank you for being here.